We started this series last week walking through the letters that John wrote from Ephesus, uh, about 95 A.D., 90 to 95 A.D. He wrote these when he was really, really old. In fact, he was up in his 80s or 90s when he wrote these words. He was the last surviving apostle at that time. All the others had been martyred. All the others had died. And John was like the last man standing. And he writes these letters as an encouragement to the church. Now, he's writing this in the context at that time from Ephesus because he saw some some dangerous philosophies and theologies that were uh, being perpetrated through uh, different individuals within the church, teaching some false doctrine, like bringing some things to light in the church that definitely needed the light to be uh, shining on them because John knew that if someone didn't speak to this and someone with his authority to speak to this— that there could be some danger in the church that would take the church down the wrong path. And so that's why John writes these three letters. Now again, I told you last week, John wrote five books of the New Testament. In fact, when you look at Paul and John, the majority of the New Testament was written by those two. John wrote five books. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. But then these three little letters, small, short little letters that are found towards the back of your New Testament, he writes these as an encouragement to the church. He writes them to believers. So these letters were not written to an unbelieving world. Lots of the New Testament and the Old Testament were written to the unbelieving world. He writes these to the believing world. So in other words, he writes it to you and me. So how many people here in this room today say, yeah, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I have accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Okay, so every hand that is up, here's what I want you to know. 2,000 years ago, John wrote you a letter. John wrote you a letter to give you some important knowledge, some important understanding, so that you would know exactly what you need to do in relationship to your walk with Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to go to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to cover the first 11 verses of 1 John chapter 2, and we'll get to the the back half of 1 John chapter 2 next week. We're going to be walking through all three of these letters uh, through the rest of the summer, through June and July. So let's read together 1 John chapter 2 and beginning with verse 1. It says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word that you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him his eyes. Now, today, kind of, I've titled this sermon of these first 11 verses of 1 John chapter 2, uh, basically just kind of, kind of titled it this, Obedience Matters. Because in these 11 verses, what we get is a very clear picture of what it means to follow Christ, what it means to walk with Him, but also what it means to actually do exactly what God has told us to do. 
And so when you go into this passage, in the first few verses, the first two verses here, we recognize, as John tells us, like the obedience that we must lean into, that we must grab a hold of, it starts with Christ. Go back to verses 1 and 2. My little children, John writes. Now, it's interesting he writes those words. Remember now, he's like the last man standing. All of the other apostles are gone. They're all, all, all have died. They've all been martyred. They're, they're all gone. He's the only one left who followed Christ. He was the one that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was the only one that was still around. And so he writes this statement. He writes right up front, my little children. In other words, like, like he's like the, the old sage, like the grandfather. He's kind of like that one that everybody is listening to, like waiting to hear what he has to say. In fact, Dan Womack, Womack says this, that, that church tradition, church history tells us that in his last days that John, whenever he walked into a, a setting, walked into a meeting, walked into a, a, you know, a church back in those early, early church days and in the latter part of his life, he wasn't able to get up and to preach anymore. He wasn't able to get up and to, to say a lot of the things that he once said. And so they would actually walk him in, and the only thing that he would say, the only thing that he could say was just this, my little children love one another. Those are the only words that in his last years of his life that he shared with the church. And so he writes this here in this letter, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Right there, if you underline that statement, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin, that's the purpose of this letter. That is why John sat down and actually penned these words to write to the church because he was seeing that the people who had trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, following Christ, like the family of God, that they were going back into their old ways, that they were leaning back into what the world had to offer. They were walking back into sin. So he says, I'm writing this so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the entire world, the whole world. And so, these first two verses are basically a continuation of the last chapter. So, you remember we ended last week in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, where it says these words, it says that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, but if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We talked about this last week. Like John is like reiterating this statement like, hey, even though you were a follower of Christ, even though you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're still going to mess up. Yes, you've been made a saint because of the gospel. Yes, you have been taken from the old life into the new, witnessed by what we saw today in the uh, the baptistry. Like literally, it's walking in new life, but hey, you're still going to mess up. And in this room today, thousands of individuals, thousands more watching right now on television, like, hey, followers of Christ, we blow it from time to time. And so what John is saying here is like, hey, and so when you do, hey, good news for you, because I know that you're going to sin, even though I know you're a new creation, I know you're a saint because of Christ, you're going to sin. But understand this, you have an advocate. The Greek word is the Greek word parakletos, which literally means like someone who's a helper, someone who's a, a person who's going to come alongside aside and advocate for you. In other words, like, like a, an attorney, a lawyer who's like with you, an intercessor who's praying for you, and that's who Jesus is. Now, it's important 
that John writes this because back in those days when the, the Gnostics, when we'll talk about that in a few moments, like some, some false doctrine that was coming into the church that, that talked about this idea like you could have a knowledge of God and you could be a part of the family of God but live however you wanted to live. Like when that, that idea began to pervade the church, when it became pervasive within that early church, people were starting to think like, man, you know, I, I, this sin that's in me, like, what am I going to do if I'm going to mess up? Am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going to, like, fall away from the faith? And so, uh, John makes it clear. No, hey, understand this. Jesus has already paved the way for your forgiveness. That Jesus is the one that is standing by your side. And man, what an encouragement that is. No matter what it is in your journey, no matter what it is in your life, no matter what it is that you're trying to do, like, it's always great to have someone who comes alongside and helps you. So yesterday afternoon, uh, our family was gathering together with some friends of ours for a, an afternoon gathering for a going away party for uh, a friend of ours. And as we're heading to that party, uh, I get a phone call from my daughter-in-law, Paige, who's seated right over here. And she says, uh, hey, uh, she calls me Papa John. I love that. She calls me Papa John. She says, we're driving down the highway and we're on the way to the thing, but, but our, our, our tire is flat. What do we do? You know, and they were trying to figure out what to do. And they were looking at the little sensor on the dash that tells him like the PSI of the tire, you know, and it's going from like 40 and 30 and 20 and it was down to 5 and down to 3 and, and they, they actually made it to a gas station right there out on 460. And so they said, what do we do? I said, well, I'll come, I'll come over and I'll help you. And so, you know, they pull into the, the, the gas station and I'm driving over there and my son Nicholas heard about it and he drives over there. And so we're all coming together and when I arrived there, Jonathan is there and he'd found the, the, the jack out of the back of the car. And he had jacked the car up and he was you know, looking for the pieces. Like we could not find all the things that needed to, you know, the pieces that you need in order to change the tire. And by the way, the three of us together do not equal one man when it comes to changing a tire on a car. And so the three of us are sitting there trying to figure out what to do. Paige calls her father on FaceTime. Her father is actually a mechanic. Like, this is what he does for a living. So Paige is there with FaceTime showing him all the things, all the parts that are on the ground and like walking around looking in the, the, the glove compartment trying to get him to tell us what to do. There's another guy that pulls up and we don't even know who he was, but he came and, and he was helping out. Paige called him a, a, a nice Samaritan. What would you call him? A nice Samaritan? It kind of got it biblically right, not quite, but close enough. And so he came. And then Bill Robertson, another friend of ours, shows up. So in other words, it took five of us, actually six of us on FaceTime, six of us to change a tire yesterday. Now here's what I know. If Jonathan would have had to change that tire by himself, I love you, it would not have happened. If I had to change that tire by myself, I would have left the car on the side of the road and gone to a car dealership to find a new car because I don't know what to do. But you see, when everybody comes together, Here's what happens. Like people are helping one another and things happen quickly. When everybody got together and Bill shows up and he had to show off, he brought this like big massive like jack like you would see like in a, you know, in a, in a, a mechanic shop. Did they call them mechanic shop? I don't even know what they call those things. But in those places and this big torque wrench, you know, that, that takes the, the lug nuts off like in about two seconds and puts it back. Like it was really cool. Like that car was back on the road like in about two minutes once everybody got there. We would have been there for hours if everybody hadn't come to help. How cool is it to know that when we're walking through this thing called life, when we mess up, which we will, that we have someone who is going to show up in that instant and give us everything that we need to help us through. We have an advocate. Now I want you to know 
As a follower of Christ, I know there are times in your journey where you get discouraged. And you get discouraged because of your sin. You get discouraged because you think, like, I'm not doing this thing right. You feel like you failed. You feel like I'm I'm not being who I know God wants me to be. Like, I'm not getting this thing together. Man, I wish I could do better. I wish I could be, you know, be a better Christian. I wish I could read my Bible more. I wish I could pray more. And yet life gets in the way, and I keep messing up, and I keep going back to that old sin that so easily trips us up. And like, I keep messing up. I want you to be encouraged today. God understands that. And while that's certainly not the path that He wants for you, here's what I know. He knows it so well that today Jesus Christ, according to God's Word, is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and He is praying for you, He is interceding for you, and He is going to show up to advocate for you no matter what it is that you might go through. That is good news. So this walk of obedience that God has called us to have, it starts with Him. Because here's what I also know. You can't do it without Him. You can't do it on your own. And so John's writing this letter saying, guys, literally, like, hey, little kids, little children, hey, understand this. You don't get this. You can't do this without Jesus. It starts with Him. And so that's the picture he gives right in the first couple of verses of 1 John chapter 2. But then he goes on to say, like, not only does it start with Him, but hey, it really makes a huge difference. Obedience makes a difference. Look what it says in verse 3. And this is how we know that we know Him. If we keep His commands, the one who says, I have come to know Him, you ought to underline that in your Bible. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Those who say, I have come to know Him, and yet doesn't keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly in Him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know that we are in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. Understand this, our our obedience is a marker of our salvation. It is an evidence of our salvation. It doesn't save us. We don't come to know Christ because of what we do. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it's not of our works, lest any one should boast. It's all through faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's where we get our salvation. So our obedience doesn't give us our salvation. Our obedience proves our salvation. It shows our salvation. And so that's what he's writing here. And so understand when he said this in verse 4, if you say that you've come to know God, now here's why he wrote those words. Because again, the big pervasive false doctrine that was in the church at that time was a false doctrine called Gnosticism. And the Gnosticism literally is like the Gnostics were, were basically it's kind of focused on knowledge. Like it was this mystic idea that I know God and I know about God and I've studied God and I know how this whole thing about God works. And it all came down to a, a mind situation, like, like what's in my mind? What is my knowledge? What's my understanding? And as long as I understand who God is, as long as I understand what God is, as long as I have this, this higher knowledge, this special knowledge of God, then I can live however I want to live because my salvation is based on what I know not based on what Christ has done and based on how I act. And so he says, listen, if you say that you've come to know him and yet you don't keep his commands, look what it says, you are a liar. Now that was a very strong statement that John writes to the church 2,000 years ago. A strong statement that he gives to the leaders oftentimes within the church at that time. 
these Gnostics who had kind of taken control in a lot of settings, like, hey, let's, we know best. And John, again, the old sage, the last man standing, and he says, listen, if you say that all you have to do is know about God to have this thing called salvation, let me tell you what you are. You're a liar. That's a pretty strong statement, don't you think? But then he goes on to make sure, he, he kind of underlines this here a few verses later in verse 6. The one who says that he remains in him. In other words, the one who is a follower of Christ. Look what it says. He should walk just as he walked. In other words, you should walk just as Jesus walked. In other words, you should try to be more like him. Now that verse that he gives us there in verse 6 is a very clear statement that sin in the life of the believer does not take away our salvation, but it's a barrier to our salvation. Now, we need to understand that it's kind of this idea that when there is sin that is present in our lives, that is unconfessed sin, or sin that like doesn't bother us really anymore, like, like we kind of gotten so used to this idea of sin, like it's not that big a deal, we can live however we want to live because we are a follower of Christ, and, and we've been given, again, that ticket to heaven that we get when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we put that ticket in our back pocket and it's our, it's our ticket into the entry, into the gate. Like we are guaranteed, we're going to get into heaven. And you're not gonna lose that ticket no matter what. You cannot lose your salvation. But here's what you can lose. You can lose the joy of your salvation. You can lose the joy of the journey when there is sin that is present that you don't actually get under the blood and the authority of Christ. And it becomes this barrier it's kind of this idea like if, if you are standing here and Christ is over there where that cameraman is over there on the floor and between the two of us that there's this massive wall, that there's a big barrier here and I can't get over there. Like it's not going to lose the fact that we're both in the same room. We're not going to lose the fact that, that we're connected. Here's what we are going to lose. We're going to lose the fellowship that God so clearly wants us to experience because we're walking together as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's that idea that John wants us to understand. Obedience does make a difference. And you'll see in this passage, it is, that is what, uh, how we are made complete. Verse 5, whoever keeps his word, obeys Christ, whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. Now that word complete there is the Greek word teleo, which literally is this idea of perfection. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. What it means is this, is that, that you are going to be moving towards this idea of completeness or maturity in your walk with Christ. And by the way, I think I could ask the question of everybody in the room, hey, is your goal as a follower of Christ is to be a mature believer? I think everybody here would say, yeah, I want to be mature. I don't want to be like a little baby Christian. I don't want to be like a little kid. I want to grow up. I want to get like deeper in my faith and, and walk closer to Him. Like, that's what I want to do. Here's what God's Word says. In order to be a mature Christian, in other, other words, to, to walk closer to Him, to grow up in your faith. Verse 5, whoever keeps His Word, truly in Him, the love of God is made complete. And so we get this picture. Obedience starts with Christ. Obedience really does matter in our walk with Christ, but then we keep reading in this passage and we understand that he introduces like another concept that goes along with this idea of obedience, and it's this, is that love and obedience go hand in hand. Look at verses 7 through 11. It says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. 
the old command is the word that you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. And the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, those first few verses I read kind of got a little bit confusing because it talked about, hey, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command. And then he says, the old command is the word you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. It's like, what in the world is he talking about? What John is doing is he's connecting the dots between the law and uh, grace, the law and, and the idea of after Christ came and died on the cross and rose again. He's putting the two together. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, in that passage in the law, God is telling the people of Israel back in that day through Moses, like, hey, understand that you need to love one another. He's saying in Leviticus 19 that you've got to make sure you love uh, one another, love your neighbors yourself. And then he says, I am the Lord God. In other words, I'm God and I told you, love your neighbor. But then also, he's drawing this back to what he wrote in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 13, because in John chapter 13, he says this, love one another because God has loved you. And so he's saying the old command in the Old Testament, God in the law said, love your neighbor, I'm the Lord. In the New Testament, he said, I have a new command for you, love one another just as I have loved you, Jesus said. And so the idea that is given here is recognized like, hey, we have a duty and a responsibility as followers of Christ to love our fellow Christians. Now, he's not saying here that you've got to, you know, you've got to like every Christian. I've met a lot of Christians, I love them. But boy, I don't like them. Anybody in this room ever, like, just raise your hand. Like, I know some people, man, I love them, but man, I don't want to hang out with them. You know, I don't want to spend Thanksgiving at the table. I, you know, I don't want to do that kind of stuff. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this, is that there needs to be a bond, a, a connection between you as followers of Christ that basically says this, you're not called to have like an affinity to the point of like, like you must hang out with them, that you must be like right by their side, like you have to put up with everything that they bring to the table. That's not what he's saying. What it is, is this idea of like literally you're sitting there, I love them, and my prayer and my hope is that they will experience all that God has for them. I want the best for them just as God wants the best for us. And that's the picture that John's writing here. Listen, you people, and here again, context. Back in those days, the Gnostics, that, that special group who had this idea like it's all about what we know and we're, we're better than you, they were building this big divide between that group and everybody else, and they were putting down all the other Christians. And I've got to be honest with you, I've seen it in today's culture. You see it in social media of Christians who are putting down other Christians, attacking other Christians, that we're better than you. You're not as good as we are. And what John is writing here, boy, you better love one another. Why is that so important? Well, the one who says that he is in the light, but he hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness. In other words, you are not walking the walk that God has for you to call. You cannot call yourself a true follower of Jesus Christ if you hate your fellow brother or sister in Christ. Like, we can't have that to happen. Harold Wilmington wrote this in his Bible handbook. He said this, we can be assured that we know God if, two things, if we try to obey His commands and imitate Christ and to love our fellow believers. 
Now think about what Harold wrote. Two statements. You can know that you're a follower of Christ. Remember last week when I talked about, hey, I would be very afraid if sin doesn't bother you anymore, right? Because the Holy Spirit is within us, right? If we're a follower of Christ. And so here's what Harold writes. Listen, you can be assured that you know God. You can be assured that you're a follower of Jesus Christ if, two things, if you're trying to obey his commands and imitate Christ. Now that word there is important, is try, because you're going to blow it. That's why 1 John 1, 9 was written. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you blow it, confess it, and you put it behind you. So if we are trying to obey his commands and imitate Christ, and secondly, if we love our fellow believers, that's the marker of the Christian faith. That is the marker that you will have as you, if you're a person who says, I am a Christ follower. So the question that I put to you today Are those two markers of your life? Are those two things that are present in your everyday journey? Are you trying to be like Christ? And when you mess up, you're confessing it and getting under the blood of Christ as soon as possible. And secondly, do you love fellow believers? Now, I know Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second. I know we're to love everybody. We're to love people who are not followers of Christ. I get it. But remember, John is writing this to the church. So in the context of our conversation today, yes, Jesus wants us to love everybody, but in the context of today, the markers of your faith, are you trying to be like Christ, and do you love your fellow believers? And if those two things are not present in your life, then today you need to get it right. If neither one of those are in your life today, then what I would tell you is you need to recognize that God loves you, and that Christ came to die on the cross for you. And that he was buried and that he rose again for you. And when you believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you turn and you run to him, turn from the past and walk to him, walk in a newness of life, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is when the journey of joy and contentment and completeness begins, when you become part of the family of God. And today, that's what you need to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that it allows us to experience. God, I thank you for this room of people, those watching, listening right now. Lord, many followers of Christ. And God, I pray that today as we have read through what John writes, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I pray that these would be markers of our faith. God, that these would be a picture of what we are doing in our journey every single day. And if not, God, I pray that right now that we would get it right, we would confess it, and we would turn it around right now. Because what I've read today is not a suggestion, it is a command from God. That we are to try to live for you and obey your commands and imitate Christ. And number two, to love our fellow believers. God, I pray that we'll get it right. And if there's somebody here today that has never accepted you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that right now you would help them to recognize who you are and what you've done, what Jesus did for them, and that they would believe today that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again to pay for their sins, and that we can have fellowship with you because of Christ. God, I pray that's the work that you would do in their life right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right now, our team is going to gather here at the front as we do every single week. 
We do this every single week. Every time we gather, we give people an opportunity to make a decision. We give people an opportunity to get things right between you and God. Why? Because that is exactly what the church is here to do. This is not a club. This is not a place that we come together and just kind of have good fellowship and hang out and, you know, have a lot of fun, have some good music and, you know, do that once a week to punch a card. No, no, no. We are here to help people follow Christ. And if you're here today and you do not know that Christ is your Lord and Savior, this team is here. We'd love to talk with you about that in just a moment. If you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, you are a Christian, but yet, man, you kind of, things aren't going right. You kind of messed it up. Like things aren't going the way you intended for them to go. And maybe you've allowed some things to be present in your journey, like the Gnostics, like I know God, I know about God, but man, I'm just kind of doing the things that I want to do. I'm living how I want to live. Maybe today you need to come to this altar and kneel here at this altar and put 1 John 1, 9 into action in your life and say, God, I'm sorry for my, my sin. I'm sorry that I've tried to do it my own way. And so, God, today I want to turn it around. Maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. Well, whatever it is, as we stand right now and as Zach leads us in the song, I just encourage you to step out, to make a decision, to make a move, to come talk with one of our team, to allow God to do in you and through you what he desires to do. So let's stand together. Let's sing. Zach, if you'd lead us. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. In me, oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Father, today we thank you that you have provided a way for us to live the life that you have intended for us to live. God, that you gave your son Jesus so that we would have an open door to you. That God, that you've allowed Jesus to be the advocate for us, to be the intercessor for us. That no matter what we go through, no matter what it is that we're experiencing, God, that you have now given us this, this, this opportunity to have a, a walk, a fellowship with a connection to the God of the universe, that God is with us every single day. And so Lord, I pray that we would live our lives according to that connection. Lord, seeking to be more like you in our everyday walk. And when we mess up, God, I pray that we would find ourselves on our knees before you saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. God, we thank you for salvation. And I pray for every person in this room, God, that as we leave this place in a moment, God, that you would speak truth into their hearts and their minds and their lives. God, help them to be a light in the midst of darkness. Help them to love one another. Help them to point people to you. Help them to walk with you, to run after you every single day, to imitate Christ. God, I pray that's what we would do and how we would live. And for that, Father, we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar remains open. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. God bless you and have a great day. Come out this week for VBS. We'll see you soon. 
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.